Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, where myself, Nick Hill, and Daniel Foch sit around and talk about real estate for about 45 minutes every Tuesday and Friday. And today, we are talking about which province is the best investment for 2024. We're probably not actually going to draw a conclusion, but we're going to look at um, some data from the Fraser Institute called, uh, they have a report called Canada's Growing Housing Gap, comparing population growth and housing completions in Canada from 1972 until present day. So do you remember we recently did an episode on um, make work projects and the MERB program and uh, how purpose-built rental ramped up in certain periods of time and how we were building a lot of houses at a certain period of time in Canadian history. Um, and now we're kind of facing the inverse challenge. Um, and a lot of people, most people would agree that the bull case for Canadian real estate is that um, there's too many people for how many houses we have, uh, or there's not enough houses might be a better way of saying it for how many people uh, the population is growing by in Canada. But Supply and command. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but somehow prices are falling right now and um, we're not seeing new supply built to meet that demand. And so what we want to do is look at, and what this, what this um, report does is it looks at the differences in this supply and demand mismatch in different markets across the country on a province by province basis. So let's let's kick it off. So the main conclusions on the front page of their report um, basically state that the research bulletin compares annual population growth in Canada with housing completions between 1972 and 2022. The growth of the population reached its highest point nationally and in every province in 2022. Meanwhile, housing completions have stabilized or declined. So we know that population is growing at a record pace, and yet housing completions are not keeping up with that population growth. Nationally, Canada has yet to build more homes annually than it did during the 1970s. Isn't that what? crazy? Yeah. Come on. This is also the case in nine out of 10 provinces. Throughout most of this period, Canada's population grew by one to three people for every housing unit completed this previous year. So in 2022, the population grew by 4.7 people for every unit completed the previous year, higher than any other time. So keep that number in your head as a baseline as we go through all of the numbers uh, for different pro uh, provincial levels. So that's the na national level. And then we're going to discuss the provincial level to see if we can anticipate what provinces might have a big supply shortage in the future, because that would be a good place to look for, for investment if people do believe that the bull case is housing scarcity, which it does seem to be the case. Now, again, Dan just mentioned that population grew by 4.7 people for every unit completed. Among other provinces, this ratio ranges from 2.8 people per home completed in Quebec to a crazy number, 11.3 people per completion in New Brunswick in 2022. So without closing that wide and, and growing gap between housing demand, which is po your population growth, and housing supply, which is housing completions, Canadians' current struggles with high housing costs are likely to persist, if not worsen. And now that doesn't just mean house prices, it could also mean rents, but um, regardless, this is 
it's an interesting phenomenon when you're looking at a housing uh, or, or a credit cycle unwinding and housing affordability kind of trying to return to normal, but butting up against this this really bad excess demand scenario that's likely to persist unless something changes. So, Dan, let's talk about the results here. Uh, this analysis presents a comparison of the annual change in population, that's population growth, and annual housing completions in Canada, as well as in all 10 provinces, again, between 1972 and 2022. It does so by using the number as well as the ratio of the number of additional people per housing unit completed the previous year within that specific geographic area. So throughout the 1970s, as shown in figure one, which if you're watching along, you can see behind us. If not, we will explain a little bit of it uh, after this. The two metrics tracked one another relatively closely with annual completions routinely surpassing 200,000 and annual population growth typically between two and 300,000 people. Instead, the ratio of added population per housing unit built the previous year never exceeded 1.5 throughout the decade. And housing completions in 1978 actually exceeded the population, actually exceeded the population growth in 1979. So that was the one time we Isn't were actually wild? ahead yeah. back in 1978. Good year. So the two metrics started diverging in the 1980s. And we went through kind of a history lesson in this when we were talking about... Um, I guess it, the episode is called uh, Even a Severe Recession Can't Restore Housing Affordability in Canada. But what we talk more about in that episode is uh, a, history, a little bit of a history of um, make-work housing policy and uh, purpose-built rental housing policy in Canada. Um, and that was a famous period of time when it was exceptionally compelling for, or for, for investors to become developers, to become creators of housing. Um, and then in the 1980s, these the two metrics started diverging. So housing completions fell below 200,000 in all but the last three years, while population growth increased to over 400,000 in 1988 and 1989, which was um, 1989 was sort of the last peak of or, or the last it marks sort of the last uh, peak of a housing uh, cycle or credit cycle in Canada. And we covered that in episode one, and then we also kind of did a. Uh, um, brush up or summary on it in that episode about uh, about MERBs. But the divergence subsides slightly in the mid-2000s when the ratio of additional people per new housing unit fell back to 1.5 for the first time since the mid-1980s. And a lot of that was during a recessionary period, but it grew markedly from the mid-2010s onward during a recovery period in that kind of post-08 world when population growth soared without commensurate increases in housing completions. So they go on to say that indeed annual population growth exceeded 400,000 in 2016 for the first time since 1989 and has done so every year since barring 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, and then that created a backlog. So we had an um, 1 million additional people in 2022, the single greatest year increase in population on record. Um, and you can see that if you go to the Fraser Institute uh, website to look at this report, or if you're following us on on YouTube, and we'll probably post these charts on the Pattern newsletter as well, which we'd recommend. Again, there's a link in the show notes to follow along if you want to see these charts. Um, but you you can basically see this huge. <laughs> there's one. It's a hockey stick graph um, on the population side, and then on the housing completion side, it's like basically stayed within. It stayed within like the two hundred thousand to like maybe one hundred and. 
50,000 mark. Yeah, I mean, this 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 figure, which is figure one in um, in the report here, it, it is really shocking, Dan. I mean, it looks for the first little while like population growth is always kind of taking the lead. Housing completions seem to be lagging and falling. Some years better than worse than others, better than others. You can see in the 90s, it uh, housing completions dropped. They looked like about half of what the population was. Which is still alarming. Um, however, you know, two hundred thousand to one hundred thousand is a hell of a lot better than uh, two hundred thousand to one million, which is what we are at in twenty twenty two, the most recent year covered in this study. Pretty wild stuff. So, meanwhile, annual housing completions remain below two hundred thousand from nineteen ninety one until two thousand and four, and again from two thousand nine until twenty eighteen. In fact. The 1974 high point of 257, 243 housing completions has yet to be surpassed. Let me repeat that. We have not built more housing in one year since 1974. And that was only 257,000 houses back then. Now, given the relative stagnation of housing completions over the five decades examined in this report, the marked increase in the ratio of additional properties per housing unit completed in recent years is driven almost exclusively by population growth. So let's just go through some of these ratios across the country, Dan, maybe east to west. You want to, uh, you want to start us off here? Yeah. So remember that the national average for 2022 or the, na- sorry, the national number of people being added to the population per unit of housing being built is 4.7. So that's kind of your baseline. And we can see which provinces outperform that number, I guess, or have a higher uh, net impact of that number and which provinces um, are below that number. And uh, the results actually shocked me because, you know, a lot of people focus on Ontario and BC as because there, there is a high number of people moving to those provinces. But what we always forget to think about when we evaluate this is the magnitude, right? The percentage. And we try and talk about this a lot on the show because if people are saying that population growth is a primary driver of the bull case for Canadian real estate, for let's say just for prices to go up, regardless of rents or cash flows or whatever, you should be thinking about where it is, where it has the highest impact as a percentage, not as a raw number. So without further ado, let's take a look at Newfoundland and Labrador, whose 1973 to 2002 average people per new unit of housing was negative 0.3. So basically they were losing people and building more houses at the same time. In 2022, that number for Newfoundland and Labrador was 9.7. Yeah. And it uh, doesn't get much better if we look at Prince Edward Island, the average from 1973 to 2022 over that five decade period was uh, 1.8. So fairly reasonable, right? Not where you want it to be. But not bad, uh, a hell of a lot better than their 2022 ratio, which was 5.1. So that's, again, above that national average of 4.7. So Nova Scotia, long-term average was perfect. It was one person for every unit of housing being built. That actually might be too many units of housing because oh, because yeah, because technically you have 2.6 people per household. So one person for every unit of housing. In 2022, in Nova Scotia, that number was 7.7 people per every new unit of housing being built. So still on the East Coast, and (laughs) this one takes the 
national winner, which uh, we don't want. It's not a good thing. 1973-2022, New Brunswick uh, long-term average of 1.1. That ratio skyrocketed to 11.3 in the year 2022. Quebec, uh, which is the lowest in the country, saw themselves still out uh, more than double their long-term average of 1.2 um, in 2002 at 2.8 people being added to the population per unit of housing. So that's actually balanced because if you would assume, or close to balanced, because if you would assume average household size of 2.6 people, they're building at the most sustainable rate. Ontario, uh, the largest province over that five-decade period, actually has um, almost the highest ratio here. So from 1973 to 2022, Ontario's ratio was 2.3 people for every house. And uh, in 2022, that jumped to 5.5. Manitoba's long-term average was 1.8 people for every new home being built. And they've almost tripled that at 4.6 last year. Saskatchewan, long-term average 1.1, and that really jumped up to an 8.2 in 2022. Crazy. I I think, um, you know, it makes you wonder, like, whether or not interprovincial, because with Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, interprovincial migration is really the obvious trend, but Saskatchewan um, actually saw out-migration on an interprovincial basis, and they do have one of the highest... um, gross from immigration moving into Saskatchewan. So it's just interesting from my perspective to mm-hmm. see that that it can be, or, and maybe they're just not building enough comparatively. Alberta, which is, you know, I think a lot of people are really focused on Alberta as an investment market right now from, you know, purely looking at this metric and actually looking at a, a, quite a few metrics that doesn't really stand out in this list from my perspective. So their long-term average is probably what stands out. They've had the the best long-term average at 24 units, I'm sorry, 2.4 people um, per housing unit being built. So the highest long-term average. So they've had the highest long-term population growth in Alberta. And in 2022, they're seeing 6.2 people added per unit of housing being built. And then all the way over on the West Coast, British Columbia, which actually had the smallest jump um, out of all the provinces covered in this report. So BC's Five-decade long-term average from 73 to 2022 was 2.1 to jump a modest uh, few points up to 3.5 in 2022. What do you make of that, Dan? That's uh, That seems a bit it, weird it, over there. It just fascinates me because people are really – like people really do want to look at uh, the Ontario and BC context mm-hmm. as being these like bastions of population growth and they are on, an, on a raw number basis, but the populations are already big enough that you don't feel it as much on a, on a percentage basis. And this is what that, this chart really shows me. So I'm just going to quickly go through that from the top because it kind of got hard to follow, I think, jumping from the long-term average to the 2022 number. So in 2022, the number of people added to the population of the province divided by the number of housing completions in that province. Newfoundland and Labrador was 9.7 people. Prince Edward Island was 5.1 people per new unit of housing. Nova Scotia was 7.7 people per new unit of housing. New Brunswick was 11.3 people per new unit of housing. Quebec was 2.8 people per new unit of housing. Ontario was 5.5. Manitoba was 4.6. Saskatchewan in third place overall. I guess third worst overall, yeah. um, with 8.2 
people added to the population per new unit of housing being built. Alberta, 6.2 and British Columbia, 3.5. So it kind of just changed my perspective on, you know, the direction that the housing crisis can head in a, um, in a, on a provincial basis. Um, you can almost, if these trends were to continue, you can almost use these as more predictive things, especially knowing that the primary driver could be um, affordability, mm-hmm. which we're now going to look at. So now let's go back from west to east, so backwards from BC, and look at home prices in these markets as well. So I'll start with Canada. So uh, home price in Canada in 2023 was 729000 on average. Home price in Canada in 2022 was 706000 on average, uh, which is a year-over-year growth of 3.2%. British Columbia, the average home price in 2023 was $1,017,000. And in 2022, it was $989,000. So a year-over-year change of 2.9%. It's worth noting these are May 2023 statistics, May and May, um, just because that was the the most recent um, year-over-year comparison that we had because prices have fallen basically Mm -hmm. from May until present, which is, you know, October, September, or September, October data. Um, Alberta prices uh, went up 2.7% year over year to 465000 Saskatchewan home prices in May of 2023 on average were 329000 The year before in May of 22, they were 334000 So they have actually dropped by 1.4%. And this is where like the whole thing kind of starts to come off the rails from my perspective because it's like, wait, wasn't Saskatchewan one of the top markets, right? Yeah, I mean, they literally, right, at 8.2, that average, and again, that, that long-term average from 1.1 to 8.2, um, I, I'm, yeah, this, this, is, this is getting hard to follow here. Right. So, Manitoba saw a 8% drop in house prices to th- from 390 to 358,000. Now, although things are still very expensive here in Ontario, uh, they have gotten 1.1% better as house prices have uh, dropped from uh, 939 in 22 to present day at uh, $928,000 on average. Quebec prices dropped just shy of 3% from just over 500000 to about 489000 Okay, New Brunswick. Again, this is where things get weird. Remember, the long-term average for New Brunswick was almost right on point at 1.1. 1. 1. And then in 2022, it jumped to a crazy 113 here we see the house prices of in in this year at two hundred and seventy nine thousand. That is a five point four percent drop from this time last year. Or this this time the data was sourced from last year in twenty May of twenty twenty two from two hundred ninety five thousand. So we look at about uh, fifteen to sixteen thousand um, dollar drop in the average price in New Brunswick. Then looking at Newfoundland, which is kind of the only one that really makes sense um, because they saw. They were kind of top three um, in being undersupplied, and they saw three point three percent price growth from two hundred seventy one to two hundred eighty thousand. Nova Scotia average price May of twenty twenty three four hundred thousand, and uh, the year before four hundred thirteen thousand, experiencing a just over three percent drop. And then finally, Prince Edward Island three point three percent growth from. 346000 to 358000 for the average house price. Okay. So how is this possible? The areas with the biggest supply imbalance last year actually 
fell, right? Like we're looking at this right now, the top three undersupplied markets, Dan. So Newfoundland has 9.7 people moving there for every new home being built. And prices in Newfoundland went up 3.3% year over year to $280,000 for the average house. That one does make sense. But then we go to neighboring New Brunswick that has 11.3 people moving there for every new home being built. Again, 11.3 people for every new home being built. Dan just said that the average household has about 2.6 people. So we are way above that average. However, the prices dropped 5.4% on average, falling from 295 down to 279 in New Brunswick. And a similar story in Saskatchewan. They have 8.2 people moving there for every new home being built, yet prices dropped 1.4%. That new national average is, or so that new provincial average is 329,000 versus 334,000. So how is that possible given the state of excess demand? I mean, I thought population growth kind of meant that prices would only go up, right? That's the whole bull case for Canadian real estate. So what's going on here? Yeah, there's a couple of different things. So from my perspective, it could mean that these markets were already overbuilt. Like they, they had an excess supply situation. And then when we started getting into the excess demand, it kind of um, drove prices up as people were buying and buying and buying those houses. And then the market ran out of steam because there wasn't any real compelling reason other than excess demand. People, all of these uh, Ontarians basically mm-hmm. moving into these provinces um, to these markets and they would go and overpay because they had no understanding of mar- local market dynamics. And they're coming from a heavily inflated, super pricey market. Yeah. I mean, well, we talked about this in our, in the Evergrande episode actually, where it's like, it's really easy to understand the trickle down effect of um, an irrational buyer being introduced to the market. So a lot of people like ragged on foreign buyers, foreign investment. We have multiple layers of taxes to prevent their existence in Canada now. But, um, you know, the McLean's article from 2015 that we mentioned in that Evergrande episode really outlines it better than anything. And this comes from the president of Juwai who mentions, you know, which which is a, a big um, like MLS basically in, in China for international properties. And he was saying, you know, for people in Shenzhen, China, they saw 60% year over year price growth. And so when they come to, to Vancouver or Toronto and they say, oh, it's up 20% year over year, like whatever, that's perfect. That's what it was in Shenzhen two years ago. And then it went to 60. So I'm going to buy because that's a good signal. Right. And so it's, it you know, it's, there's a natural inclination for somebody to say, oh, I'm going to apply the fact that everything in Ontario is in a bidding war to, you know, it's just a bias. So and now I'm moving to New Brunswick. So I'm just going to throw in a sight unseen offer in a bidding war and create bidding wars. And that's how this contagion kind of spread all over the country, especially into Atlantic Canada and Calgary, which we're st- still seeing this phenomena. This is why it's so important to keep an eye on consumer sentiment, right? This stuff changes. And as you said, almost infects people, right? It's like, okay, well, 20% here, if I, if this is going to, you know, there's there's certain things that are happening here that are happening in my market. I've done extraordinarily well there. I understand that market, or or maybe you don't even understand your own market, but you look at another market and it looks comparable in certain ways, but in reality, it's definitely not. And you go and start treating that market like you've been treating your own market, which is in a bad shape. And now you force that market into a place and a territory that it, it shouldn't be in. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and actually, the next episode that we do, we're going to have Alyssa on from Zolo and um, Mixed Up Money, which is a another podcast, Canadian, great Canadian podcast. Or sorry, her, money Feels. Yeah, yeah, Money Feels is the podcast. Um, her Instagram is, is Mixed Up Money and blog and all that stuff. But, you know, she does a lot of primary research on Canadian homebuyer sentiment. And uh, especially the ideas of like FOMO. Uh, and th- there's a couple other ones. Um, the CMHC does another one. Um, and then MPC does another one where they basically survey homebuyers, mortgage consumers, et cetera, get an understanding for what the market pulse is. It is really important to stay on top of this stuff, but basically what happened? So everyone was drunk on free money and working from home. And then basically 475 bips of rate hikes happened and the market is now waking up with a hangover basically that's a tough hangover yeah yeah for sure yeah and i mean to be fair this is the part where it's most interesting to me as investors is there's an obviously a clear opportunity but it's also clear that this problem could be solved by investors so pi is seeing four hundred forty-eight thousand. sorry I am so bad at reading numbers ever since we had (laughs) i got baby brain so (laughs) pi is seeing uh, 4,488 people each, or that was last year, and uh, 1,100, let's say, housing completions. Like our listeners, probably, if we all band together, could build that much housing, I feel like. That's it, guys. The next meetup out uh, out east, bring your hammers and nails, okay? <laughs> We're building houses. No, Dan, you're totally right. So let's look at what the report has to say on this. In those four Atlantic provinces that we've covered here, so... Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and New Brunswick. The 1970s marked not just a high point for housing completions, but also a previous high point for population growth. Until the late 2010s, or in this case, uh, in the case of Newfoundland Labrador, uh, 2022, the population growth had broadly declined relative to the 1970s, or even turned negative in some years, meaning that there were losing people meaning these provinces lost more people than uh, for out-migration or deaths than they gained from in-migration or births. So forget international migration or interprovincial migration. Nothing there was was doing enough to grow these populations in, in the East Coast. So in this situation, even stagnant or declining housing completions were sufficient to maintain the ratios of one or fewer additional people per housing unit completed for much of the period prior to the 2010s. So when I when I think about this, it's like, this is why Canada started this immigration program, this population growth program, was to offset the impact of an aging population, which the Atlantic provinces were especially a victim of because they all had much older populations and nobody was really moving there. And now as a result of the global pandemic and affordability, I would say, and massive immigration and massive interprovincial migration, that all of those provinces are clearly here seeing the impact more than anywhere else in the in the country, other than Saskatchewan, basically. Um, and so, I feel like the I, I honestly really feel like the Atlantic provinces get overlooked as like investment markets. Like when we were just reading those prices, even if like the data points a little stale or whatever it is, or if the the year over years are, are right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. What matters to me is how low those are. Like the lowest numbers on all, on that list are all either those provinces or Saskatchewan, I guess. Right. Yeah. 
Hence, yeah, do we, let, let's just do a quick little reminder of, of maybe the, yeah, the yeah, average house day, prices, yeah. average house prices as, as present day as we can get them. So I remind you, this is a, this date is a few months old, but it hasn't changed drastically. So again, just to Dan's point, average home price in, let's use Ontario as a benchmark here, sure. okay? Average home price, $928,000. And that is Ontario wide. That's not Toronto and GTA. That so is even the say, entire uh, province. Yeah, you even say Ontario and BC is basically a million bucks. Basically a million bucks for Ontario, BC. New Brunswick, average price, $279,000. Newfoundland and Labrador, 280000 Prince Edward Island, 358000 And if you really want to yeah. ball out, move to Nova yeah, Scotia. Yeah, looking expensive. $400,000 for the average home price. So literally 40% yeah. of of what we see in, in right. Ontario and, and BC, which is just nuts. Yeah. And so, like, I really do feel like these provinces are going, are like kind of going into this like renaissance period where you're seeing, I mean- People are leaving Ontario at a record rate because they quite simply, and we were saying this like a year ago, it was like, yeah, it's going to be hard for these provinces to sustain their population growth or keep the population that's moving there because you can't afford it. The, the, like, every, sure, let's say everybody wants to move to Ontario or BC. That makes sense. I get it. Like, But then when they show up and they're like six months in and they're like, okay, I'm, it's either I go bankrupt or I move. Or I'm or I'm renting a mattress in a right. boarding house for you know almost a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. Just you know why? What's, yeah. What's the point? What what are the pull factors to stay here? I'll tell you what the push factors are. You can afford a real bedroom in these other provinces. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so, like, I, I get. I I like seeing this. I like seeing the the um, population moving. To the Atlantic provinces. I think that it, you know, I, I think we're probably not far off from every city and province in Canada eventually being unaffordable. Like, I think that that's kind of the phase of the housing crisis that we're in. And, but, but hopefully this materializes in some places be becoming more competitive than others in construction, in policy, in tax, and whatever it is to, you know, maintain kind of being these, these safe havens for affordability on on a Canadian context because obviously Ontario is not doing it. <laughs> so we can't stay in Ontario. We can't go west to BC. We can't go, we're, you know, be, going east now might might be over in the next couple of years. Maybe it's time for the territories to finally get some love. There you here. <laughs> and then, so then you move over to the prairie context. So especially Saskatchewan, but Manitoba and Saskatchewan, uh, according to the report, experienced significant declines in both population growth and housing completions throughout the, the 1990s and early 2000s followed by a resumption of growth during the 2010s. In fact, the annual population growth in Saskatchewan was negative on average in the two decades from 1987 to 2006. Manitoba and Prince Edward Island were the only two provinces to reach their highest ratio of additional people per housing unit completed in a year other than 2022, and it was 1983 in both cases. So that because that's written, it's not like that wasn't really a well-set-up sentence for spoken word. Manitoba and PEI didn't break their long-term record. They actually both saw larger population growths in 1983. And so they're, I mean, in a long-term context, and that could be skewing their kind of long-term averages as well. Yeah. And then let's look at, uh, again, just to, to go back to that. So Manitoba and Saskatchewan both experienced significant declines in population growth and housing completions in the two decades from the 90s and let's say 2000 to 2010. Now, Dan, we had also talked about, uh, you know, numerous times in the show, moving to a place that is based around a certain industry. For me, Manitoba, maybe not so much, but Saskatchewan, we, we've got some some amazing natural resources in Saskatchewan. And again, I think, you know, on the Renaissance period argument, 
there may be a major renaissance period happening there. But again, we just have to talk about push and pull factors, right? Like where, like, wh- like why are people going to move there, right? Like wh- we need, you know, it always goes back to Alberta, which we're going to talk about next, but it always goes back to those Alberta calling advertisements, which have obviously seemed to work because Alberta has been growing like crazy, specifically Calgary. Maybe we just need a really good marketing company to come in and start making Saskatchewan look a little sexier for everybody. It's interesting. Like, I think right now it's easy for people to, to or until probably like present day or until employment really starts ramping up uh, or unemployment starts ramping up. The reason for people to move was affordability. And the, re- that, the reason that it could be a reason was because jobs were plentiful, right? Every province had job vacancies. So you could go to Saskatchewan and get a job that paid the same amount and you could afford a house. And so you could leave Ontario, not worry so much about the employment piece of the equation, but you could be increasing the, the bottom line and saving money and building equity in a house, actually owning something. If employment changes, which I expect it to, the big pull factor to these different places around the country will be jobs. Whereas mm-hmm. before it was affordability because jobs were everywhere and because you could do them everywhere because the workplace was decentralized and now the workplace is trying to centralize again. And a lot of that probably is because facing unemployment, like CIBC just did a huge round of layoffs as an example. If employers are firing people, it's easier for them to be like, see what happened to those guys over there? Maybe you should get back into the office four days a week. And so the the decentralization of the workplace becomes a little bit under siege. So my, my perspective is what will drive people in a recessionary Canada and probably for the next decade around the country. And this is wh- where it's worth looking at not only the trends that we're presenting to you today, but what's where, because this is, I don't know the answer to this question. And it's really going it, to, based on polling, it looks like we're going to see a shift in government in the next two to three years. Where will the jobs be in 2025, 2026. Cause you're not investing. Remember you're not investing in real estate for today. You're investing in real estate for the next 20 years. And so I think what, you know, the argument that you're making, uh, when I look at the prairies, I look, I see battery metals, I see oil and gas, I see Potash, you know, yeah, farming. minerals, farming, um, natural resources, um, you know, uh, nat gas, hydroelectric, hydroelectric timber, like, there's just so much, it's just a, a much more diverse economy when you compare it to Ontario, which is basically like condos, cannabis banking. and tech, tech and <laughs> yeah. banking, right? Like, and, and, and I think that those are commodities usually in an inflationary environment, yeah. um, are more resilient. And so if we end up with like an inflationary environment, those, those could do well. If we end up with less inflationary environment, which I, I don't know how that, how that works, like how that how we would end up with that scenario. You could see Ontario, the Ontarios are more than knowledge workplaces succeed by comparison. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, affordability has been a major factor, a leading indicator for, for moving around. And, you know, from personal anecdote, I know we've talked about this before. We both know a ton of people that have moved out east um, from Ontario, whether it be Toronto or Ottawa or, or uh, another market here in Ontario. Um, there's been a ton of people that have moved out, friends of mine that literally moved and, and went and bought a house that had no chance of buying a house in, in Ontario. So we see that. But again, with the change in government, the change, you know, the, the suspected change in government um, and and all the other factors, right? The the inflation um, that we're seeing, interest rates that are that are pushing people to the to the brink of um, of their financial you know capabilities. What 
are young people going to be doing and what kind of new jobs are going to be happening, right? We're again, we're on the precipice of this new AI generation as well, right? So and I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but I think there's going to be a, a lot of change happening over the next few years. And it's going to be for young people to to go into these new markets and adapt and make it work in these places. It is, before you jump to Alberta, it is worth getting somewhat into the weeds on that because I think that, again, if you're looking at a 20-year horizon, which is like, even if you just say a mortgage amortization, you're mm-hmm. going to buy a property typically with a 25-year mortgage am. So let's say you're going to own the property and then you'll sell it when it's paid off. So you're going to own it for 25 years. Within 25 years, like, I mean, you know, you hear about things and I was just on the um, podcast with uh, the Rockstar Real Estate guys. Um, we went to their event as yeah. well, the absolute beauties. Um, but we, and we talked about this stuff in relation to real estate, right? It's like proximity to the labor market becomes less important. Um, maybe you get more people on UBI and the, you know what I mean? Because they're the, from the bottom up, the labor pool starts getting eroded. Um and then, you know, even the impact of stuff like Teslas or solar shingles, right? It's mm-hmm. like now you don't have grid dependence. Now you don't have public transit dependence because you have these cars shuttling everybody around. It, it is like out there stuff. Like it's kind of like, you know, like the Elon Musk, like hitting a dube on the on the Joe Rogan podcast <laughs> meme. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, like, that, but, but like that's st- some of that stuff is worth thinking about. And it, especially for longer term yeah, horizons. For sure. Right. If you're, if you're like, okay, if someone's like, well, why would you invest in Saskatchewan right now? Well, I'm not investing for right now. I'm I'm investing for right now, and I have a two prong thesis. I'm investing for right now because, you know, there's interprovincial migration there. There's a major affordability there, but I'm also investing because I think that there's going to be major gigafactories being built there, or you know, there's new policy that's going to affect farming or or certain things like that. Right? Potash is 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 uh, is more necessary than ever before. So. Again, we're getting we're getting out of the weeds now because we're going to move on to Alberta. But this is all stuff. Again, we talk a lot about your investment thesis, and right now in in the course we're actually going through all this stuff with with our amazing uh, with our amazing students and, and community members there. And we're going through the picking the market segment, yeah. and a lot of this stuff comes into play, right? Okay, like what you're picking a market for today, you're picking a market for tomorrow, and you're picking a market for ten years from now. They all have to work. They all have to make sense. Yeah. And like, I think the weeds aren't really a bad place to be because like, (laughs) you just think about like when you're out at like a party and stuff like that, it's like, you know, people want to be able to talk about this stuff and like, what's everybody talking about right now? Like every time, everywhere I go, it's like, oh, chat GPT this or like, you know, AI that. And so it's like, you might as well understand the impact of it with real estate. And I think that like, as... Um, technology gets better at taking care of us so we don't need to take care of ourselves. We're either going to become batteries like in the matrix, you know what I mean? <laughs> and just like a food source for robots or we will we'll start migrating to places like based on where we want to live, not where we need to live, mm-hmm. um, which is just, it's an interesting thing to think about, um, especially in the context of the global population potentially decreasing. decreasing yeah, which for the is, first time yeah. in quite some time. Okay. Out of the weeds, we yeah, emerge. Um, and look, and it'd be a shame if we didn't touch on Alberta here, right? So Alberta had the highest average annual ratio, 2.4 of, again, that is population growth to housing completions. They had the highest of any province between 1973 and 2022. This was driven in part by Alberta's consistently robust population growth throughout the most throughout most of this period indeed faced with higher population growth than Quebec on average Alberta was one of only two provinces able to subsequently reach levels of home building comparable to 
uh, albeit slightly lower than its rate achieved in the glory days of home building back in the 1970s. So this is why we didn't see a big number in 2022, even though everyone makes it sound like everyone is moving to Alberta. Yeah, it is interesting to, to, to see it put into context here. Um, and earlier on in the show, we mentioned not, not today's show, but like, you know, uh, probably a hundred episodes ago that the <laughs> prairies were, yeah, yeah. But Alberta was, is better at, um, at building houses, right. At providing houses to, or, or, um, building supply. And so there's that piece as well. Like it could still be growing like crazy, but they're building enough homes. The big question becomes, uh, you know, New Brunswick, right? Like when you're looking at that, like 11.3, and it's it is just one year, but it's like you know I've I keep seeing it's so big, many things pointing year. yeah. So it's funny because I asked um, Scott Ziegler to send me a multiplex in um, Saskatoon. Shout out to Scott, friend and, and fan of the show. Um, and then I asked um, Cameron, who runs our meetups in Moncton, to send me a multiplex out there. He sent me this like eleven unit for like what was it one point one point one? I yeah. Think. All two bedrooms, uh, eleven a door units for two beds. Yeah, like that's, that's, in Moncton, that's a good price per door right there. That's yeah, impressive. And so the question is like, why aren't we buying everything we can in New Brunswick? Wait, right? we aren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think the only problem that actually like and and I basically rental housing pays this double tax in New Brunswick, which is an interesting thing. And um, so they they pay twice the tax uh that would be applied to an owner occupied property. Um, it's basically passed on in the rents to tenants, many of whom are seniors, students, and low-income individuals. This comes from a government policy document, mm-hmm. by the way, which is aimed at unwinding it, which we can we can discuss in a second. But it gets passed on to lower-income individuals and families who cannot um, afford their homes. In some cases, the additional tax limits landlords in their ability to undertake effective maintenance programs, which negatively impacts the quality of affordable rental housing being offered to New Brunswickers. That comes from the current government. So that could be prohibitive. One of the reasons that people aren't uh, doing it because it could actually erode your cash flow. Even though the price is good, if the cost is too, you know, the the ongoing costs are too high, it could really mm-hmm. blow up, uh, up a pro forma. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, you say it could be prohibitive, which it could, or it could also present itself as an opportunity because the right, right now the market could be underpriced due to that tax policy that you were just discussing, right? However, in 2022, there was an article stating that the New Brunswick government is accelerating a plan to reduce that so-called double tax on non-owner occupied properties in the province one year ahead of schedule. Um, You know, it's things like this, that if you know your market, if you are investing in your market and you know that this double tax exists, which obviously kind of sucks, um, if you know that that double tax double tax exists, and you know that it's possibly getting canceled a year early, that could present a major opportunity. No, it is a good point, right? Like if you're buying today when the numbers don't well, make as much sense, yeah. And the reality is, like, it's not like you can go to a land like or, or an owner and you're buying a property from them and you're like, oh, you know, yeah, my lender's going to model in the taxes coming down next yeah. year because they're not. Right? Yeah. The lender's going to say, what are the taxes today? And then you're going to go to the buyer and say, buyer, this is all I can afford to pay for the property because of the taxes or whatever it is. But yeah, so I think that you're right. It could could actually present an opportunity rather than a, a drawback. I also like that um, this Fraser Institute report mentions 
all of these different bumps in housing and population growth in the 1970s and 1980s because you know there were other cycles similar to what's happening right now mm-hmm. happening during those periods of time so you know in episode 1 or 2 whatever you call it we covered 1981 housing peak and then we also covered um the 1989 housing peak and so on a provincial level you almost get to look at if if you think population growth was the major driving factor for all of these different things um could we say okay um look at New Brunswick and and say, oh, here's what it did in the 90s, or here's what Ontario did in the 90s after that big population uh, spike and then a recession, there was a bit of a trough. And then because of the the lag of no building happening and all that population growth before or during the 89 peak, it exploded, right? In, you know, 96 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, it's like starting to look at all of these different lines on top of each other, like all of these different data points on top of each other and see a correlation to see if it allows you to start predicting what could happen. And the more we get data sets that look at these these metrics on a province by province basis rather than a national basis, allows us to start saying, oh, well, it might actually make more sense for me to buy in New Brunswick because there's 11 too many people for every house that I can bring on the online. Um, whereas in Ontario, it's only four people, right? Um, so... I like, I agree that the bull case and even Anthony, when he was on the show, who's probably as, as bearish as I am would say, you know, that's just the bull case for Canadian housing. Like it, it, it's undisputably that Um, simple baseline economic. Yeah. It's supply and demand. demand. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple. Um, So then what happens or, or so then why aren't we as investors? If, if we believe fundamentally in that being the thesis, why are we focusing on Toronto precons? Why aren't we focusing on new (laughs) Brunswick? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because the precon Don is such a good salesman. Yeah. But no, but it's actually, right? Like, why yeah. aren't no. we? Why aren't we building? Um, or why aren't we focus focusing our capital on markets that actually quantifiably have a need and, and this, more opportunity for us? And this just goes back to to the simple stuff, right? Know your thesis. What is important to you? What's important to you today? What's important to you tomorrow? And what's important to you ten years from now? And I think that's probably a. Uh, Great time to wrap it up, Dan. Any any closing remarks? Uh, no, check it. Oh, Christmas sweaters are up. So, Oof, yeah, Merry Tiffmas, baby. Been a shame if, yeah, we have Merry Tiffmas Christmas sweaters and Feliz uh, Navidad. And Feliz Navidad, uh, realestatemerch.ca. A um, bunch of other cool stuff on there, too. Some, some stupid hats and great yeah. t shirts and, yeah. and all that stuff. So, if you want to dress like you love real estate, that's the place to do it. Yeah, if you want everybody to know that uh, <laughs> you're uh, whatever they a landlord, I suppose. Oof, at the, yeah. I know, I know. Maybe not um, these days. Yeah, but if you want to start dumb conversations at a Christmas party about real estate, it's that's the way. Sure. Um, so you that, might find your next GP or LP partner true. wearing a for lease yeah, you can, yeah, that's what it is. It's just yeah. advertising. Maybe you can even tax deduct it. Not financial advice, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, newsletter. Yeah, check out the newsletter link in bio. Of course. Of course. Uh, take, I think we're going to start taking registrations for the New Year soon. We right? already have a waiting list going. I think there's like over 30 people on nice. the waiting list. Um, we're, guys, we've been really working hard on, on this course. You know, Dan and I, we kind of hate the furu guru stuff. We've avoided it like the plague until essentially we had too many people call and ask for coaching and the way that we've designed this course i think is is really proprietary we've 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 got a ton of stuff in the course that we haven't spoken about in the podcast that we won't speak about in the podcast for 
for a while stuff that does not exist out there um and i mean it like stuff that we've that we've created we've we're we're just getting the interactive portion of it we're p- choosing markets across the country some really cool stuff so you're interested at all in in learning more about that shoot us an email or, or check out the link in the show notes and, and see what it's all about that's it awesome thanks so much for listening everybody we'll talk to you soon The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.